Good morning. Welcome to the Village Church, where our mission is to know Jesus, to enjoy Jesus, and to glorify Jesus. And our vision is broken people coming together to embrace and extend Jesus' love. Uh, the announcements this morning, um, first off, the QR code on the front of your worship guide is a good place to start to connect to all the online uh, with information about our church. Uh, if you want to know about um, our social media platform, there's a, a button for guests or visitors to click. Uh, can tell you about um, tithes and offerings. Uh, we believe that giving of tithes is an act of worship. Uh, a few ways that you can do that. There is a, we don't pass out um, a plate. There's a, there's a box in the back. You can mail a check to our address at 2103 Virginia Boulevard, or uh, you can give online. Um, this week, we have a number of things going on. 930 service is this. 11 o'clock, we'll have uh, our Sunday equipping classes for all the ages. And um, then two of our village groups are meeting this afternoon, 1215. T group is in the church house, and the Bricker group is in the fellowship hall. Wednesday at 530, there's a open house music um, in the sanctuary. There's a little yellow flag uh, floating around. Uh, with information for that. And then after that, at 7 o'clock, we'll have our corporate prayer in the sanctuary. That's also available on Zoom to be emailed. Uh, the Zoom information will be emailed this week. Um, there's men's groups this week. Uh, the four men's groups meet this week. Tomorrow night, Thursday morning, Thursday night, Friday morning. Next week, uh, 9.30 will feel a little bit earlier due to daylight savings time. And uh, the Goodson Village Group will meet in the church house. And then in two weeks, the women's ministry is going to Jackie Hill Perry's Glory Conference. Could y'all not hear me the whole time? I always do this. Sorry. Anyway, check flock note for the uh, women's conference details. Uh, thank you. I found this article um, that says 23 verses about the goodness of God. And here are a few of the verses. The Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abounding in goodness and truth. That's Exodus 34, 6. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His mercy endures forever. First Chronicles 16:34. And they sang responsively, praising and giving thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endures forever toward Israel. Ezra 3:11. Good and upright is the Lord. Psalm 25:8. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Psalm 23:6. The Lord is good to all, and his tender mercies are over all his works. Psalm 145, 9. 
No one is good but one, that is God. Mark 10, 18. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. James 1, 17. Are we all on the same train this morning? I would have lost heart unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Psalm 27, 13. He loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of the goodness of the Lord. Psalm 33, 5. And so I uh, encourage you as we sing this next little, this little chorus, it's simple, simple, simple. It says, Lord, you're good. You've been so good. You've been better than good. I can't praise you enough. I owe you my life. I can't praise you enough even if I try because you've been so good to me. Think about, I encourage you, invite you to think about how you've experienced God's goodness this week. And even if you think, well, I haven't experienced um, God's goodness, even if that's where you are this morning, one of my um, favorite verses in the Bible is, I can't remember exactly where, but this, the man who asked Jesus, he comes from a far off place to ask Jesus to heal his son. And the, the father says, um, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. And so if you are in that space that maybe right now you're like, I can't see how good God has been to me. Like you can pray that, Lord, I believe, like I know it here, help my unbelief. This song is, Lord, you are good. Good, you've been better than good. I can't. 
to worship and we're standing in honor for of the reading of God's word. That's really why we're standing. Um, our call to worship this morning is from the book of Amos, chapter 5, verses 14 through 15a and um, verse 24. Please join with me where it says people and all. Seek good and not evil that you may live. And so the Lord, the God of hosts, will be with you as you have said. Hate evil and love good and establish justice in the gates. But let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. Amen. To God be the glory, great things he has done. To God be the glory, great things he has done. So lovely the world that he gave us his son, who yielded his life and atonement for sin, and opened the life gate that all may go in. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, let the earth hear his voice. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, let the people rejoice. Oh, come to the Father through Jesus the Son, and give him the glory, great things he has done. Oh, perfect redemption, the purchase of blood, through every believer, the promise of God. The vilest offender who truly believes that moment from Jesus a pardon receives. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, let the earth hear his voice. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, let the people rejoice. Oh, come to the Father through Jesus the Son, and give him the glory, great things he has done. Great things he has taught us, great things he has done. 
hallelujah to the great king. Lord, we love you. We praise you. Amen. You may be seated. Good morning, everybody. You all look beautiful out there, as uh, the famous Lyle would say. Our uh, confession of faith comes from the Heidelberg Catechism. Question number one. I will ask the question, and then we'll all together say the answer. It's a pretty long answer, but a good one. Question is... What is your only comfort in life and in death? That I am not my own. Life and death to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. He has fully paid for all my sins with his precious blood and has set me free from the tyranny of the devil. He also watches over me in such a way that the hair can fall from my head without the will of my Father in heaven. In fact, all things must work together for my salvation. Because I belong to him, Christ, by his Holy Spirit, assures me of eternal life and makes me wholeheartedly willing and ready from now on to live for him. Amen. If you are able, please stand for the reading of God's Word. We'll be reading from Matthew chapter 9, verses 35 through 38. Listen for the Word of God. Jesus was going through all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. Seeing the people, he felt compassion for them because they were distressed and dispirited like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Therefore, beseech the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. If you've been coming to the Village Church for at least a year, I'd say, you know that this time of the year around Easter, we have what we call resurrection stories, which are really one of the most favorite parts of our church calendar for me. It's where people come forward and just talk about how Jesus has touched their lives and resurrected them, so to speak. So this morning, uh, Mary's going to come forward and tell us her resurrection story. I told Alex this was going to be a boring one. <laughs> um, and he said, it's never boring when Jesus is working in your life. And I thought about this for, I'm nervous, y'all. I usually come up and talk to you. I can be, I can talk all day long about kids stuff. But like me, I'm a little nervous. Um, 
And hopefully I won't cry. And it's not a bad cry. It's a good, very humbling cry. Um, I was raised in a Christian home. I have imperfectly wonderful parents. I'm one of six children. I'm the oldest. Um, And we're all believers, and that's a testament to God, God's grace in my family. Um, So I've been a Christian since I was nine, probably, and I was saved a lot. Went to a Pentecostal church, so I, like... I uh, I was saved like every year, so um, but it was real. It was real salvation, and um, being the oldest of six kids, uh, you can imagine. I don't know if anybody out here is the oldest, but very much um, very independent, very self reliant, um, and uh, a perfectionist. And I don't say that lightly. Um, uh, I was an overachiever which was great for school. I did I did great in school. Academics was my thing. I got all the way through college, and um, then I decided I wanted to go to law school. Um, that kicked my tail. It was not the type of school that you have the best and the brightest people in that room with you. I was not the best and the brightest anymore because there were like 200 of those people um, in the same class, and uh, it was a big deal um, hit to my ego. Uh, being a church kid, never really had big problems, never really was in big trouble. It was one of those, um, I had a lot of pride in what I had been able to do, and I had a lot of pride in what I'd been able and could accomplish. Uh, I was smart. And, I mean, it's just, I could do a lot. Uh, Law school was one of the first main places where God said, really, you can't. (laughs) Uh, There's a lot of people out there. And um, and even though I knew my pride was getting chipped away, I wasn't really um, relying on him like I needed to, like I knew I needed to. Uh, I I just kept thinking I should have done better, I could have done better. Uh, they didn't work out the way I planned. Also, I had a lot of plans, y'all. Um, I went to law school. was very specific. I wanted to be a very specific type of lawyer. Uh, when I graduated, those jobs did were few and far between. I did not get the job that I wanted. I had to wait a little bit before I even got a job. Um, and when I got <laughs> my job, it was a good job. It was a great job. It was in finance. Who doesn't want to do finance? Um, and it, it, but it wasn't, again, my pride was getting hit, again, because that wasn't the job that I wanted. That wasn't, I was going to save the world, y'all. I was going to save the world. Finance is helpful, but it doesn't really save the world. I guess you could save the world. I don't know. I was going to do something better, and it just didn't work out. So that was another blow to my pride and then I had my first child and he changed everything um I decided to stay I mean joint decision obviously we decided I I wanted to stay at home I wanted to stay at home with my child and uh kids kicked my tail too it's weird they have their own personalities and they're their own people 
and they have their own plans. And um, I had another baby about 15 months later, and that was crazy and insane. And um, I was trying, I was working, I wasn't trying, I was working from home. I had my own law practice, and I worked out of my house, and I was making a little bit of money. It was good. I was keeping my mind kind of sharp. Um, I had my two toddlers going rolling around, and um, but I still wasn't what I thought I should be, what I thought I could be. Um, I'm really susceptible to that Instagram pressure. Um, back when I was when I was younger, it was Instagram that was the big deal. I don't even know what's out there anymore. Like I'm gonna call it the TikTok because I just want y'all to know I'm not cool. Um, but the Instagram pressure. And just the perfectionist pressure inside of me to be X, Y, and Z. I mean, I know y'all have all heard it. I want to be a certain kind of mom. I want to be a certain kind of wife. I want to be a certain kind of lawyer. I want to be a certain kind of woman. And I needed to do this. Um, And my pride, y'all, I just, that is my burden um, I've been reading Pilgrim's Progress, and that is that was my burden for a really long time. I didn't even realize it um, until my fourth was born. And um, it was really, really hard. I um, uh, Two days after we brought her home, and she, the, all of my kids, I mean, they're just wonderful. I, I, they, hopefully they know that, but they, I'm just so glad for them. They've taught me so much. Um, but my fourth came home and I woke up at night and um, just panicking. I can't do this at all. I can't raise four people. Can I send them back? And I, I, I'm laughing about it now, but it, I was really, I'd been a mom for six years at that point, and I was really thinking, I can't, I can't undo these decisions. I cannot undo this. And um, that, was, that was really scary. It was a scary, scary time. And I wanted all these kids. You know, I wanted this life. This was a life I wanted. I didn't exactly plan for it, but I wanted it. And um, it, was, um, it was a really dark time after Joe was born. And um, I'm so thankful I have a supportive husband. And my parents were are in town, and they're wonderful. And and my in-laws are wonderful and supportive, too. They were always there to help. And um, I was just struggling. I, I wasn't – a lot of my pride is wrapped up in, um, you know, obviously I already said what I can achieve. And um, I wasn't making money anymore because I was staying at home full-time. Um, so that – I'd been making money for a while, and that was a huge hit. That, that surprised me um, how much that bothered me. And um, – so I just, my identity was wrapped up into what I could achieve. And when you have four little kids, you don't achieve very much. <laughs> um, everything you do gets undone really quick. Um, <laughs> and, um, and uh, <laughs> I mean, really, it's, uh, and um, I just didn't know who I was anymore and what, um, what I was supposed to be doing here. What's the point? What am I supposed to be doing here? I I, uh, I don't work. I'm not a good mom. Um, not a good wife half the time. I can't even sleep. And um, 
God was really, and then uh, I, I got help that I needed. It was so, it was, it just, everything happened the way it needed to happen. I had a really wonderful therapist. It was, this was all in 2020 also. It was crazy anyway. Um, so I had my Zoom therapist, and she was amazing. She was so encouraging. And um, again, I had my my husband and my, my mom and my dad and my, my in-laws and my friends and I was still very isolated, and um, I remember sitting on my couch, and, I, and I'm wrestling through all this. You know, I, again, Pilgrim's Progress. I was in Doubting Castle, and that is one of the darkest places you can be. There's no escape. You don't think you can escape. and um, But there's hope. Um, there was hope there. And I, through this whole time, I'm praying, and just working through stuff, and God, swear to you, I hear it as clear as day in my brain, um, you can do nothing without me, and um, that changed my life, it was like the mud, I keep, I kept thinking this week, like, how am I going to explain this, it was like the mud got wiped off of my eyes, and all of, I've been hearing this since I was nine, y'all, this isn't anything new, but it just hit me, like, yeah, no, I can't do anything at all without God, and it's just so freeing, and uh, I can do nothing without him, and he is my strength. I'm still, you know, a work in progress. I think that that's one of the main parts of my story. I'm still working through a lot of this stuff, but there's hope, and there's a future, and I don't have to do this by myself at all. I don't have to do it at all, really. I just have to kind of show up. And he's there, and he's he is the strength of my life. Um, everything that I have, it's because of him. Um, the fact that I'm even standing here in front of you today is just a miracle. Um, I'm very, very grateful uh, for what he's given me. So anyway, that, that's my story. my sister for that wonderful testimony of God's grace in our life we all are works in progress and that's what we will continue to be until Christ returns and he who began a good work in us will carry it on to completion amen we now are going to have a time uh, prayers of supplication. That's the time for us to go to the Lord with anything that's going on in our life, anything that's going on in the lives of those that we have relationships with. So let us go to the Lord now and spend a couple of moments in prayer intercession and supplication. Father, I want to thank you for just the work that you're doing in Mary's life, in the life of her family, in the life of her kids testimony of your grace that you met her in her struggles, in her isolation in her pride and you built her back up and you will continue to do that I pray for those who heard this testimony and who can relate to it that they will be able to see that 
see you in a different light. That even though it's, there's darkness and hardness, that they are never alone. You are with us. You are with us through your word. You're with us through those in whom we have relationships with. You're with us through our community here. So, Lord, I pray that you would minister to each of us holistically. I thank you that you care about our mental health. You care about our bodies. You care about our emotional health. Not just our salvation. Not just how we're doing spiritually. You care about every part of who we are. And I pray that you will minister to every part of who we are. You know what each person here is dealing with. You know the, the, the things that keep us awake at night. You know the things that keep us tossing and turning, the, the worries, the, the pressures, and the fears. You know it all. You see it all. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that you will give each of us the, the humility to, to say that I cannot do this apart from Jesus. And that is okay. Because we're all in need of help from on high. Thank you that you know our needs. Thank you that you minister to those needs. Thank you that your work in our life didn't stop at conversion. <laughs> that your work, you're still working in that the post-conversion work in our life sanctifying and molding and shaping us more and more into your image. And that shaping and that molding is not easy. It's not hard. It's not, it's not easiness. It's, it's in the fire. It's in hardship. But you are a safe God without pain. And somehow you use it for our good. And so, Lord, I pray for all of this in Christ's wonderful name. Amen. The late Henry Nouwen, probably my one of my favorite theologians, said that the resurrection of Jesus was a hidden event. Jesus didn't raise from the grave to buffer his opponents and make a victory statement or to prove those who crucified him that he was right after all. He rose as a sign to those who loved him and followed him that God's divine love is stronger than death. To the men and women who had committed themselves to him, he revealed that his mission had been fulfilled. To those who share in his ministry, he gave them the sacred task to call all people into newness of life with him. To those who share in Jesus' ministry are those who have saving faith in him. And those who have saving faith in him are his beloved people. And his beloved people are his disciples. And his disciples are his resurrection advocates. We're starting a six-week Easter series today titled Resurrection Advocates. The sermon text today is Matthew 9, verses 35 to 38. That's Matthew chapter 9, verses 35 through 38. The title is We Are Resurrection Advocates. 
part one. The people who have saving faith in Jesus Christ are advocates of his resurrection. And guess what? We're the only ones that can be. But do we believe it? This sermon, the big idea of this sermon is this. Resurrection advocates continues Jesus' mission to the world. Write that down. Remember it. Resurrection advocates continues Jesus' mission to the world. Please pray with me and for me as I ask the Holy Spirit to bless the preaching of the word. Holy Spirit, as I pray often, preaching has no power apart from you. No power. We, even as those of us who have faith in Christ, we cannot understand Scripture apart from you, apart from your work in us. And so I pray that the words that come forth today, it will minister to each of us, to each of us, to our minds and to our hearts, to, to us holistically. You know what we're dealing with. You know what we need to hear. You know what I need to hear. And I pray that you would take these words and use them in all of our lives for our good and for the glory of our Redeemer and King. Amen. How do resurrection advocates continue Jesus' mission to the world? How? Well, they walk in his missional footprints. Think about footprints in the sand if you ever go to the beach. That's what Jesus has left behind for us. The mission isn't the church. The mission isn't the church establishing its own footprints in the sand. Instead, it's the church walking in the missional footprints Jesus has already left behind. He's not called us to do anything he hadn't already done. For he's our example. He's our example for what it looks like to be on mission. We're to follow his example and not create our own, which in Christianity in America, we create our own examples. For he's the model for mission, not us. And to be honest, the mission belongs to Jesus and not us. And to be a little more honest, is going to outlive all of us in this room. It's going to outlive all of us in this room, just like it outlived the apostles. TV Saints, the Jesus' mission of footprints are summarized for us in our text today in Matthew chapter 9, verses 35 through, through 38. And, 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 and his resurrection advocate, we are to walk in each of these missional footprints. Look at verse 35. Matthew writes, Jesus goes throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. The first footprint is Jesus goes to where the people live, play, work, and worship. That's the mission of footprint. Jesus doesn't have a pop-up shop ministry so the people will flock to him. 
he goes to the people on their turf. He mingles with them in their cities, in their villages, in their homes, in their synagogues. He enters into their world. What about us? If you have saving faith in Jesus today, then please understand you are a resurrection advocate. Even if we don't function that way, you are. And, and we, both individually and corporately, we are to go to where people live, work, and play. Or do we simply have pop-up shop outreach events and we expect the people to come that way? Resurrection advocates, we go to the people. We go to them. We enter into their world. And that's the first step. You go to people. Next, we see Jesus' teaching, preaching, and healing are missional footsteps. Look at verse 35 again. And Jesus goes through all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, healing every disease and every affliction. Jesus teaches the Torah to the Jewish people in their own synagogues. This is his exposition of the Old Testament. It is him teaching the people with authority. In Matthew chapter 7, verses 28 and 29, Matthew writes, When Jesus finished preaching the Sermon on the Mount, the crowd was astonished at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one with authority, not as the scribes. That's Jesus. And along with his teaching, he proclaims the gospel of the kingdom. The gospel of the kingdom. In Matthew chapter 4, verse 17, Jesus begins his earthly ministry proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. It says, from the time Jesus began to preach, saying, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And, Matthew, and John the Baptist, when he started his ministry, he had the same message. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So what's the gospel of the kingdom? It refers to the kingdom of God which is about God's sovereign rule and reign over all creation. You see, Jesus coming, his first coming begins the fulfillment of God's promise to establish his kingdom with Jesus as the one sitting on the throne. That's when, Je- that's what Jesus, when he came, he brought the kingdom with him. One article says, the gospel of the kingdom is ultimately a message about a king who died for his enemies, so that those who believe in him would inherit the very kingdom he purchased for them. That is the gospel of the kingdom. And repentance and faith are requirements for those of us to enter into that kingdom. You got to have repentance and faith. And that this means resurrection, adv- resurrection advocates, you have to be a citizen of God's kingdom before you can walk in his missional footprints. You can't do the work of the kingdom if you ain't in the kingdom. Because remember in Matthew, Jesus said on that last day, some of you are going to say, did we not do this in your name? Did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not cast out demons in your name? We, we did a lot of work in your name, Jesus. And what did Jesus say to them? Hey, God never knew you. I never knew you. So you have to be in a saving relationship with Jesus first. There's an there's a order to this. 
And a person who has saving faith in Jesus is the one who has surrendered their life to him, confessed their sins to him, repented of those sins, and submitted to him as redeemer and king. And when that happens, he transfers you into God's kingdom as beloved, as son and daughter. Along with preaching and teaching, Jesus also heals. Matthew writes, Jesus heals every disease and every affliction. Did you notice what this one verse shows us about Jesus' ministry? Just this one verse. It's a summary of Jesus' three years of ministry. Jesus ministers to whole people, not parts and pieces of a person. Please don't gloss over those words. Jesus meets spiritual, physical, mental, and emotional needs. He cares about your soul, your body, and your mind. The whole you, not parts of who you are. He even cares about the parts you hide from other people. Jesus goes to the people in in this text proclaiming gospel truth and extending gospel deeds. He does both. There's spiritual and felt needs. He provides both throughout his earthly ministry. They go together like birds of a feather. And what about us? What's the application for us? If we are walking in his missional footprints, if we are his resurrection advocates, what does this mean for us? TBC Saints, there's a hole in our gospel if, it, if it's truth without deeds or deeds without truth. There's a hole in our gospel if it's truth without deeds and deeds without truth. The gospel of the kingdom has both. In resurrection advocates, we are to walk in both as missional footprints that Jesus has left behind for us. But why should we care for the poor? Because Jesus did. Why should we care for the least of these? Because Jesus did. Why should we meet the needs of people? Because Jesus did. He hasn't done, you're not doing anything he hasn't already done. You're walking in his footprints. And only Christians in his church can do that. What does this practically look like? What can this practically look like for us as the village church? It looks like our outreach and mission efforts ministering to the whole person. The whole person. The whole person. We minister to a person's spiritual, mental, physical, and emotional needs. Why? Because that's what Jesus does. And as his resurrection advocates, we are to do the same. But do we believe it? But do we believe it? What does the phrase, I see you, mean? When someone says to you, I see you, what does that person mean? I'm not talking about it in a joking way. So if you're having a conversation with someone and that person looks you in the eye and says, I see you. It's more than it's more than surfacey stuff. It's a deeper meaning. That person is saying, I understand who you are. I see you. Now, what about the phrase, I feel you? 
When someone says to you, I feel you, what is that person saying? That person is saying, I understand how you feel in this situation. When Jesus comes to people and he says to them, I see you and I feel you. That's what he says to you. That's his attitude towards the people as he ministers to both their spiritual and felt needs. And Jesus' attitude towards people is a third missional, missional footprint. Look at verse 36. Matthew says, and when Jesus saw the crowd, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Notice that it doesn't say Jesus started preaching. He started teaching and he started healing. He doesn't come to the people and look over the people just to get started with his program. He sees the crowd first. He understands them and what they are going through. They are harassed. They're helpless. They're lost. And they are without direction. And as his resurrection advocates, as his resurrection advocates, we are to walk in this missional footprint. This means we have to see people as people first. Point blank. People as people first. See them as image bearers, not projects for our outreach program or our mercy ministry program. People aren't projects. They're people. This mission of footprint is us ministering with an attitude of understanding and appreciation, not assumption. The worst thing we could do as a church when we start ministering to people is that we assume that we know what's going on with them. Don't make assumptions, because when you make assumptions, you know what you make of yourself. We are to seek to understand the people we minister to with gospel truth and gospel deeds. We to see them as whole people. Whole people. Think about the people in your life, the people that you have opportunities to minister to. Do you see them as whole people? And this seeing them has also been able to see their differences, see their culture, see their ethnicity, see their struggles, and appreciate who they are. Can we see people on that level? Let's put it this way. Can we see one another on that level? Because if we, ain't, if we can't see one another on that level, I can tell you when it comes to the lost people in Huntsville, we ain't going to do it there either. Can we see one another here on that type of level? Who in this church do you really see? Who in this church do you really feel on a deep level? Jesus goes to the crowd and he also feels them. When he sees their harassment and their helplessness from a lack of godly leadership, he feels compassion. Jesus lets what the, he sees the people going through produce deep emotions in him. You ever think about Jesus being emotional? He is in this text. You see it. He, doesn't, he sees what they're going through, and he lets it impact him. He feels it. 
He let the emotions um, come out without suppressing them. He feels his emotions in your stomach. Have you ever felt some deep emotions and you feel it right here in your gut? That's what he's feeling. He feels deep compassion for people who are weary and dejected. Did you know there's a difference between compassion and empathy? They're not the same thing. I didn't know that this evening until I did some study this week. The greater science center, the greatest, the greater good science center says empathy refers more generally to our ability to take the perspective of and feel the emotions of another. Compassion is when those feelings and thoughts include a desire to help. I may need to start saying Jesus is more than empathetic with us. He doesn't just take our perspective. He's compassionate because he does something about it. Because I can have empathy for what you're going through, but like, I ain't going to get dirty with it. But I empathize with it. So Jesus climbs down in the hole with you. Whoever said that, thank you. Now I lost my place. Yes. Compassion literally means to suffer with. That's what it means in the Latin. Or to suffer together. So picture that. So Jesus is having compassion on these people. So Jesus is like, I'm going to suffer with them. I have a desire to help them. I'm going to enter into that suffering. And if Jesus enters into someone's suffering, you know what's going to happen to Jesus? He's going to get a little dirty. You can't enter into people's brokenness and not expect to get some of the dirt on you. But what about us as, as resurrection advocates? When we go to people, are we willing to get dirty? Be honest. Are you, will, are, you, are you sure you want to be about mission and evangelism and take the gospel to the lost? Because if we're walking in Jesus' mission of footprints, then that's going to require us to enter into people's pain. And you cannot enter into that lightly. It's hard walking in this mission of footprints if you don't like people. If you say, well, I'm not a people person. Well, it's kind of hard walking with people for mission if you're not a people person. You can't see people or feel people if you can't stand them. I mean, that's just point blank. You can't. So as resurrection advocates, who are the people you can't stand? So before we start going out working for the kingdom, we need to God do some work in us. Because sometimes the, the people you might need to be Jesus to are the people you can't stand. And if you can't stand them, just remember, at one time, you were God's enemy. And he died for you. Remember, remember who you were before Christ saved you. You were one of the ones saying crucify him. So before we say there are people that I just can't witness to, don't forget where you came from. Don't forget who you were. You were God's enemy, and he saved you. Not only that, he died for you. 
And us being resurrection advocates is not us getting up on the cross with people. It's us pointing them to the cross and to a resurrected Savior for them to have what we have. Resurrection advocates. That's what God has called us to be. I read an article this week. It says, the discipleship community is enabled to move beyond its own needs to, to, to be in ministry for others. For Matthew, the church exists to identify where all people, in responding to this mission, Christians experience their own healing and real life. Please know there's no other community that exists on the face of this earth that can be, that can walk in Jesus' mission of footprint but the church. We need to realize that. There is no other group. There is no government. There is no nonprofit. There is no organization that can do this but the ones who have been called by his name. And as a church, we can't pimp out our responsibility to the government and to any other organization. That's our responsibility. That's our responsibility to be the hands and feet of Jesus, to be resurrection advocates. That's our responsibility. Now, we can work with them, work with them, partner with them, but we can't say that's primarily their calling. That's our calling. That's the role that's been given to us as Jesus' church. So resurrection advocates, we we continue Jesus' mission, mission by walking in his missional footprints. First, we go to where people live, work, and play and worship. And sometimes Americans worship not at church, at sporting events. So that, that's, that's synagogue. Second, we give them gospel truth and gospel deeds. We minister to people's spiritual and felt needs. And third, we have a certain attitude towards people, an attitude of understanding, appreciation, and compassion towards them. That's, that's the footprint. That's the footprint. And in verses 37 and 38, we finally hear Jesus speak to his disciples. This is the first time he actually speaks in this passage. He makes a declaration. He tells them how they are to begin walking in his mission of footprint. This is how I want y'all to start. And the same declaration is spoken to us, both individually and corporately. Look at verses 38 and 37. Jesus says to the disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. There are very few resurrection advocates. Therefore, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers and to his harvest. As a church, our outreach and mission efforts in our community must begin with prayer to the Lord of the harvest. If it doesn't begin with prayer, we're trusting in our own resources and our programs. That's what it means. Praying for the Father to send out more resurrection advocates into his harvest and he says the harvest is ready. He says it's filled with people who are ready to hear and to receive the blessings of the kingdom. But do we believe that? 
Do we really believe that? This is the good news of Jesus Christ. This is the gospel. We're in the Easter season. We're going to celebrate the cross, the resurrection here in a few weeks. And there's tons of people in Huntsville who don't even know what that means. And we, as resurrection advocates, we can be witnesses to that in the places where God have us. That it begins with us prayerfully walking in Jesus' missional footprint. Because we can't be on mission in our own strength. And that's something the church in America don't always believe. Because if we got the money and the resources and the connections and the programs, six flags over Jesus and they're going to come. It takes more than programs and events and resources in this harvest. We need supernatural power from on high in order for us to be faithful resurrection advocates who walk in Jesus' missional footprint. Do we believe that? And here's the thing, the, the, the power that you need already lives in you. If you are a believer, it's the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit. The men's ministry is reading uh, Paul David Tripp's devotion to New Morning Mercies. And the one for March 3rd says, prayer abandons independence. Prayer forsakes any thought that you can make it on your own. Prayer affirms dependency. Prayer acknowledges weakness. Prayer renounces assessment of capability. Prayer embraces the reality of failure. Prayer tells you that you are not at the center. Prayer calls you to abandon your plans for, for the wiser plan of another. Prayer follows, flows from a deep personal sense of need and runs towards God's abundant grace. Resurrection advocates. We are those who need and run towards God's abundant grace so that we can be empowered by the Spirit to walk faithfully in Jesus' missional footprint. So my challenge to each of us this week is to pray that the Father will send laborers into his harvest in Huntsville. We're part of the laborers. But let's pray that the Father will mobilize us for mission for Jesus' glory. Don't say, don't shake your head. You're going to say you're going to do it and you ain't. But if you're going to do it, do it. Let us pray. Father, thank you for the cross. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for sending your son as an example that your church can follow in, that there's nothing you've called us to do when it comes to mission that Christ hasn't already done for us. He has laid us, gave, given us the example. And I pray, Lord, this week that you will send our laborers into your harvest and that you will use us to share the good news of the kingdom. And I pray that those that we may share it with, either a seed may be watered or a seed may blossom into real, genuine faith. And I pray for this, and I pray for all of this in Christ's wonderful name. Amen. Saints, will you please stand as we sing our closing song?
Please greet one another, saints. 